episode 27, 27. Featuring, featuring Katrina Ford. Katrina Ford. Let's go in. Hi, Zone World. My guest this week is Katrina Ford. We had a pretty heavy conversation, in my opinion. I think she was one of the most candid guests ever, and I think it turned out real tight. Um, before we get into it, I want to make one announcement. I'm going on the Rap Round Robin tour in March, April, and May with Pasolacqua, Easy Jackson, P.T. Burnham, Be Rich. Real excited about it. We've been grinding on it forever and it's finally time to announce these tour dates and get it going so check out rapbrownrobin.com to see what's up with that this episode is hosted by splicetoday.com we recorded it at the lineup room check them out at lineuproom.com and lastly this art where mike has me in drag this week. That was by MikeRileyComics.com. So check him out. Let's go in. Well, that's a really long question. I was born in South Carolina. I was born in Greenville, South Carolina. I moved a whole lot when I was growing up. Um, I lived, well, I counted once. I had moved uh, 25 times by the time I was 18. Oh, my God. Um, my family is not military. Um, the, my, well, my parents are, it's hard to explain really. My mom's schizophrenic and thought that people were trying to kill her all the time. So we had to move a lot. Mm. And then my father and her like were split, like split up. And so we were going kind of back and forth between the two of them and they were living kind of chaotic lives. So. I did, too. Is your dad also moving around to all these uh -huh. different places? He was moving, too. For, so, like, different reasons? Just... Yeah, well, my dad was a, a nuclear engineer, and oh, wow. my mother was a schizophrenic drug addict. So, yeah. like, the two didn't really have a lot in common except for drugs. And so my dad sold drugs to, like, support himself through college. Yeah. And so, like, shit went down different times with them involved in that kind of lifestyle when I was younger. So we moved yeah. a lot because of that. Because of this, like, chaos. And then when they split up, we were moving back and forth. And whenever I lived with my mom, we would move, like, sometimes, like, we would be living somewhere for, like, two weeks, like, on a couch somewhere. And then she would think that somebody, I mean, there was... It's hard to explain. I don't want to get too deep about it because no, I don't no. want to be crazy, a long no. answer. But I'll tell you this. There were three dead bodies involved in this. And so my mom is schizophrenic but and thinks that there are people out to kill her, but there happened to be people that were dying and she... I'm not really, like, leading this right. Okay, so when I was, like, in, for instance, when I was in um, first grade, 
we were living in Michigan at the time. Uh, my father, uh, my folks were still together. My father had just gotten a job with a nuclear um, company uh, out of Michigan. And we moved up there, and um, probably within three months after we moved there, this woman was murdered in our front yard. And uh, my mother was convinced that it was... Um, that was supposed to be her that was killed. Yeah. Because she was so on so many drugs and so mentally ill mm. that she thought that, that, you know, this random thing that happened had meaning, you yeah. know? And so she equated it with, um, she had called the cops on our neighbor who was this karate instructor who was teaching uh, kids in his basement and she really, you know, he was teaching all night, hours of the night, so she ca- had called the cops on him because she didn't know what was going on over there. Yeah. And uh, when she thought that this guy had a vendetta against her and had killed another neighbor thinking it was her. Wow. And so we moved, like, within, like, maybe a month after that, we moved because, uh, you know, uh, my mom couldn't live there anymore thinking yeah. that this guy, our neighbor, was going to kill her. And so we moved uh, to Alabama. Um, so that was one other place that I lived. And, uh, yeah, another time that there was a dead body, there was uh—many years later, we were in uh, Atlanta living um, with some boyfriend of hers. We had just moved in there. And, uh, like, within two weeks after moving in, my brother found a dead body in the woods. Mm. Um, this guy had committed suicide, uh, like the spring earlier. So there was just like bones and uh, yeah. a headless skeleton Ooh. in a suit with a briefcase in the woods. My brother was six years old. So he came home and he was like, mom, I found, I, you know, we found this dead body. And of course my mom being who she was thought for sure that it was the karate instructor that <laughs> caught up to her like many years later. And so we packed our bags that night and moved <laughs> to South Carolina, back to South Carolina. And so it was kind of like it rolled like that, you know. Yeah. My life was um, every day was different. I didn't go to public school, um, at least in, in a traditional sense. I mean, when you are learning math in Alabama and then moving to Michigan and mer- learning math is so different, you know, yeah. I mean, especially back then in the 80s. You know, um, before the internet, um, things weren't as standardized and stuff. And so I really kind of am feral from not having like a lack of structure in my, for having a lack of structure in my life growing up and a lack of um, that, uh, I think the education system that sets you up for like kind of like a follow the rules and order kind of uh, way of thinking. Yeah. Um, You still feel like that now? Like yeah. in a a good way or a bad way or just uh, I think when I was younger I felt like it was like really fucking cool and rebellious and now as I've gotten older um I feel like I struggle with it sometimes because I don't really know how I fit into the framework of our culture I feel like I'm always like a uh, suspect of things you know um it might be easier for me if I would just be um placatable well like what kind of kid were you in in all this situation um frightened very shy uh powerless so when i 
found music, which was at a really young age, my fantasy life of being this uh, singer, this leader of sorts, you know, being able to, like, have claim a power of my own, like, because I had been in so many powerless and violating situations, I got a chance to, um, I guess, when I did finally... Uh, have the courage to do it uh, to claim this thing. Yeah. Well, how did that? How did that take shape initially? Um, I was in high school, and uh, you know, I was a big fan of punk rock and underground music and freak culture of any sort, and that gives you uh, a lot of listening to those things and those musicians and artists being uh, role models for a different way of expressing yourself gave me the courage to think that you didn't have to be perfect or a package in order to get this thing out. And that emotion can be, uh, you know, all kinds of emotions need to be expressed. Uh, And so, so hearing that, gave me like the courage that oh you know I can do this you know yeah I've got these feelings and this thing I need to do you know and so when I did actually do it it was with the uh encouragement of some really close friends who um I trusted you know not to reveal your age or anything yeah like that, I'm old no I don't, I don't know how old you are <laughs> but like what what say if you if you're talking about like high school like what uh, is this that? is the end of is my senior year of high school, uh, and I graduated in ninety one. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, it was a, diff- you... a different different time. How so? Well, I mean, pre internet. Yeah. I mean, uh, all of this like culture that I'm talking about that I found was through, um, you know, searching for like minded people, yeah. or, or or at least people that would, or uh, an idea that would from. That would give you permission to be your own. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it wasn't available through a Google search. It was like weird comic books, meeting people, looking for records, like, you know. It's like a little uh, secret that you were in on. Yeah, You know, it was a secret club of sorts, you know, not to be, you know, exclusive, but it was sacred. Right, right, totally. Instead of to be sifted through, oh, that's not me, that's not me. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, really sought it out, you know. What were some of the, the like, bands? Um, at that time, I was, like, so devoted to Big Black. Um, like, uh, like, Steve Albini was my um, hero and heroine. Like, he was, like, this, I just was obsessed yeah. Um, that That's really one-sided. I mean, there was a lot of music that I listened to at that time, but I think the idea of power that I had in mind when I was, like, first creating was, like, coming from that place, yeah. from him, mainly. And then, of course, I got into a lot of other shit, too, yeah, you know, yeah. and I had already been, you know, listening to, you know, Bauhaus and The Cure and a lot of stuff. But when I heard Big Black and it was just so... Crunchy and hard and nerdy. Mm. <laughs> I loved it. 
I couldn't I can't say that I, you know, after a certain age I wasn't like listening to it all the time and like recently I've listened to some of the music I really loved during that era, like Jesus Lizard too. Like pretty much anything that was like touch and go. And uh anything that was out of the Austin scene that they were drawing from too, like um, you know, butthole surfers and all that stuff. What it what is like the first band that you start? Uh it was this band called Dax and it was uh just, you know, some friends from high school, my good buddies, and yeah. one of them, Sean, is my husband now. Yeah. We're still playing music together after 22, 23 years. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, just recently checked out Dax. Oh, yeah. Like, it's fucking awesome. Oh, it's, thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's Hardcore. Like, and, like, what years would that be? I was uh, 91 through 90 or 94 yeah it sounds it sounds like so much like other music that would emerge <laughs> later like like maybe, <laughs> i don't know but yeah maybe. better to me I, uh, I don't know like i i always liked arab on radar but like yeah i feel like i feel like it almost I those know. guys are big fans they were oh yeah that's awesome yeah that's yeah awesome. those guys um i met i met them you know like in love life era and and they were like, oh, my God, Jax, <laughs> you know, and it became friends with those dudes. I don't That's really awesome. keep in touch with them now. But, yeah, we were lucky to, like, maybe, like, 10 years later get a lot of, like, um, you know, fans all of a sudden when we were pretty unknown when we were doing it. And yeah. So it was just, like, later there was this, like, resurgence and that label 31G out of uh, San Diego, um, which is the guy from the Locust, his label, um, he put out a reissue of all of our stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, like, you know, it was and 12 years later or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, like, you know, uh, exposed us to another generation. How do you start? You just start playing. Oh, and, you know, Sean's mom's basement. Yeah. You know, she was the most liberal mother, and, like, she didn't care. We could be, like, you know, I could scream my head off in a microphone and say obscenities, yeah. and she was totally cool with it. My dad, who I was living with at the time, would never put up with that. He was, like, yeah. super militant. So, um, yeah, this, uh, you know, family, you know, his mom and then our friend John, who was our drummer at the time, his mom let us play in the basement. So we were just, like, playing in the basement with, like, really shitty equipment and, like, screaming our brains out. and yeah. Having a bunch of fun, you know, breaking all the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, uh, Ann Arbor, that's where we were living, Ann Arbor, Michigan, was mm. really cool in the 90s and early 90s. Seems like a cliche saying to say cool in the 90s. But, yeah, um, so Ann Arbor had, like, a lot of, like, basement and underground, like, yeah. happenings and, and uh the bands that were kind of big from there at the time that we were friends with were like um, Laughing Hyenas. I mean, they're probably not that well known yeah. you know, to you, but the regional totally. was all what it was about then. And and you know, we would go to shows in Toledo and go to Chicago, and so we made friends with bands in Chicago, and and that's eventually how we met. You know, Steve Albini who recorded us, and so of course, at my nineteen twenty year old self was just like you know, super fucking stoked. I was, like, oh, yeah. recording with my hero, and, like, he was, 
you know, it was like a dream come true, you know, yeah. for me. But my, my dreams were really small then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, and they, you know, they kept growing. And uh, meeting him, I, I tried to play it cool when, yeah. in the moment, but like inside I was like so excited. And then like, you know, we recorded with him twice and like ended up playing, like uh, opening up for shellac and oh, doing stuff. So like we... Um, got a chance to interact with him more in a way that like eventually I didn't like geek out so much yeah. anymore. <laughs> but when I first, you know, got an opportunity to play music in his studio in his house, like that was just, you know, I was like, okay, I can die now, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, now, and I think it's now I'm like, that's cool that we did that. That's really oh, yeah. awesome. You know, and it, it feels good. I mean, like, you know, there were, Years, though, like, you know, as you grow as a musician, you, like, kind of shed layers and you let go of certain things. You're like, that's not me anymore. It's it's not me anymore. But I appreciate that. It's impossible to really sit back for more than, like, five minutes. And, yeah. I did it. You, you right. I mean, yeah. I mean, by the time you've reached some kind of goal, you're already, I mean, at least for me, I'm like, what next? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. It's a, it's a kind of like, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, addicted to that excitement of sorts yeah. of like, you know, expanding my world. Did you guys tour a lot? Back then? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tour the States like crazy. Cool. Um, made a lot of friends, did a lot of cool shit, you know, slept under the stars. It was wonderful. What was touring like at that time? Very different. I mean, well, first of all, um, for the kind of band we were in in that era, like, we were booking our tour with this magazine called Book Your Own Fucking Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was one way we were touring, and also through meeting bands. So we would meet bands that we would play with that were from out of town, and we would be like, give us your contacts. Yeah. And most of these contacts were phone numbers for houses. Yeah. And sometimes they were like, you were calling someone's parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was also a time when you were leaving messages on answering machines. And, yeah. like, we weren't really, I, I think we had, like, you know, there was a little bit of email, but it wasn't so prevalent then. Right. right. It was all through phone. And we couldn't afford to make long-distance phone calls. So there was, like, this, like, anarchist way around it at the time. I don't know if you might be a little young to remember this, but there was this thing called a phone dialer. And it was like basically a beeper that was, was uh, hacked from, um, from Radio Shack. You would like put like an extra crystal in it. You open up and like add this crystal to it and it would mimic the sound of quarters going into a payphone. So we would find a really comfortable, I'm probably going to get arrested for this, but uh, we would find a really comfortable spot with a payphone and sit there with all of our phone numbers to call these places. Uh, can we play at your house? Whatever. Yeah. And book it. And sometimes you would get to these places and they would be like, oh, you're playing? You know? Yeah. And it would be like kind of like off the cuff and sometimes a fucking blast. Yeah, yeah. People would be cooking us food, you know? We would be playing in people's homes, which was like so welcoming. And even though you may be playing to like, 13 people those 13 people are like dancing their asses off yeah. you know like and like they only get like an opportunity to see live music that speaks to them 
like maybe once a month. Right. It wasn't right. like a three shows a, a night. Yeah. To choose from like we have today. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as saturated. It's hard to feel good about how it is now. Sometimes. Yeah, I have like I have mixed feelings about it because I think at first I was really like it's too saturated. There's too much for us to sift through. But then at the same time, I think that creation, you know, needs to bifurcate and just keep like breaking up and breaking up. And so in the spirit of that, I've continued to like do as many things possible or take any opportunity I have to make music with people and not keep it uh, singular. So yeah. I myself am in two bands. I am adding yeah. to this problem, but I'm also adding to this creation. Yeah. Like, why did Jax like stop? Um, we got to the point where we were just like uh, fighting. All the time. Mm. We had a lot of interpersonal, like, drama. It, it ended kind of poorly. Um, we were had a big tour, and we just, like, came home and had, like, this just nasty falling out. And split ways. Um, yeah. It didn't, it didn't end nicely. But we're friends now. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Now. Is that when you decided to move to Baltimore? No, um, when when we were in Chicago at the time, so Jack started in Ann Arbor and we um, moved to Chicago because we didn't want to stay in Ann Arbor anymore and uh, we felt like we wanted more of an opportunity to play to more people and to be just around more. Yeah. And uh, originally we were going to move to North Carolina and... Uh, we played this show with this band in Detroit, and they were from they were from Chicago. But we were playing a show in Detroit together, mm. um, and they were called Trenchmouth. Okay. And the drummer of that band is now a very very famous comedian. He's um, uh, Fred Armiston. Oh wow! And um, he, uh, with his band, they were really fucking great. And uh, they loved our band, and they were like, what's going on with you guys? You have to play in Chicago. And we're like, we're moving to Chapel Hill. And they were like, what's in Chapel Hill? And we're like, warm weather, you know, more happening. At that time, more happening than Ann Arbor. Yeah. And so, um, but they were like, we'll come to Chicago, play a show, and we'll show you what's up. And we went to Chicago, and we played a show and had a fucking blast. And we were like, we're moving here. Yeah. And we moved there. And we saw so many great bands at that time in the early 90s. Chicago opened for some great bands. Um, and uh, when Jax ended, after living in Chicago for three years, I mean, I'm from South Carolina. I hate snow. I yeah. fucking hate winter. So... After living in that for that long, I uh, it was almost like a knee-jerk reaction. We moved to New Orleans to escape winter. Mm. And I also had had, like, this, I don't know, romantic idea of that city. Yeah. And uh, so we moved there for a year and tried to, Sean and I, moved there for yeah. a year and tried to get something musical going and really couldn't make a connection to anything that was happening there and i 
was like, fine, I'll play bass. And he got it. You know, we got a drum machine. I played bass and tried to sing at the same time. It was a disaster. <laughs> and because uh, I can't really chew gum and walk, but mm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we so we we lived there for a year, and then you know, living there at that point, you know, we'd been touring musicians for for a few years and we'd made a lot of friends all over the place yeah. and made a lot of friends in Baltimore and made a lot of friends in DC and those van those bands you know were touring and came to New Orleans and you know a couple of those bands like Makeup was one of them and this other band uh, called uh, Universal Order of Armageddon um and both of those bands were like you know Makeup were like move to DC mm. and Universal Order of Armageddon was like you know, move to Baltimore. And, you know, when, you know, at some point I gave up on New Orleans when there was a nine millimeter to my temple in my front yard mm. one night and, uh, you know, almost got shot in the head by this 18 year old kid who wanted to steal, you know, rob us. And yeah. that kind of shit happens anywhere. It happens a lot here. But being who I was at the time, I was like, 24 or something you know and not very experienced and not i felt like that was the last straw for new orleans oh, for me yeah. you know i was just done we couldn't get yeah. anything going and then that happened i was like fuck it yeah we're moving to baltimore yeah and i'd always loved the city always mm. and played in baltimore many years and made friends not only with those bands from the area but uh candy machine and lungfish yeah. Played a lot of shows with those guys, and so when we moved to Baltimore, we already had like a home. We had a family. Yeah. And where where were we, where would you play? Like if you would just stop through on tour and well, the first time we played Baltimore, we played the Our House, and this oh, was yeah. in ninety three. Yeah. Ninety two. And uh, then we also played. What was that place in Pigtown? Uh, Pigtown had a stripper pole on the stage i think that was maybe before memory lane oh yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh we played there and then we played this place called chambers which was where the old auto bar used to be on davis mm. street it used to be this club called chambers we played chambers and then we played the auto bar when it became the auto bar oh, yeah and then we played talking head when it was there so we played like three different venues in yeah. the same building so okay, so as you moved to Baltimore, you got you already got this like group of friends. Yeah. And like what's the plan from there? Well, I mean, we were like, you know, dedicated to music and wanted yeah. to find people to play with and so, you know, we set up shop and met people and went through a lot of drummers and eventually found David Bergener and like, was it love life from as soon as you guys? Pretty much. There? I mean, when we moved here, uh, so love life was Anthony Malat from Universal Order of Armageddon and the Great Unraveling. Yeah. That was, he was the bass player. And, uh, and then we went through like six drummers, like yeah. never playing any shows with any of them until we got David. Mm. So, like, so it took us like two years to find him. Like, how did this idea develop? Because when I listen back to Jax, it's like, it's like such a crazy like switch up styles. Oh yeah. Did you guys like have this idea for a long time? Between Love Life and 
and Jax? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, there was, between the two, uh, it was like four years before okay, it happened. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, a lot happens in four years, especially in that, that from that age. I mean, Jax is when I was a teenager, so, like, yeah. it's different than when I'm, like, you know, buying beer and fucking under my own roof. Right, right, right. So, like, you know, it's different. It was like yeah. it was like Jack slowed down and simplified. Yeah. I mean, it was just like I wanted some patience is what I wanted, but then it got to the point where it was like too much patience and then I didn't have patience for it anymore. Mm. You know, I mean, uh I mean, well with that band, I think we basically held on to this idea that we wanted to do this band, but it wasn't really working out and we just like held on to this idea for a while. Like as far as like being creative people, I felt like in the end that I was really held back because I was trying to like make it work. Like Anthony and I did not get along mm. at all. And creatively, it didn't flow. It took us so long to write anything mm. and we just didn't jive. And so like it was like pulling teeth. And I feel like that when I hear that music, I am. I haven't been away from it long enough to even, like, listen to it anymore. Uh-huh. Like, if I listen to Jax, I, I'm like, oh, that's cool. That was me when I was a kid. When I listen to Love Life, I'm like, God, I was so frustrated. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it represents something different to me. And maybe, you know, maybe 20 years from now I'll listen to it and be like, oh, okay, that was where I was. It is still part of the developmental process, but, like, yeah. it all really depends on who you're working with at the time and also the music you're listening to where you are emotionally, you know, like I was in a really different place then. And then, you know, the world at large and our experience on this planet was a very different thing in 99 versus 2002. Mm. Huge. And that's only a few years difference. But for me, and I don't, you know, want to be a drama queen about it, but like the age of information and... 9-11, those things kind of sealed, like, this other emotional, like, um, level of experience and where to pull from and um, reality and also data out of that, you know, like, not taking anything too seriously after that because you really need to enjoy life and bring more joy you know, and yeah. I think that that's where things changed for me a lot. Uh, honestly. Yeah. And not only was like, you know, that's like a more global idea, but like I had like personal things on my journey too, like that made me more compassionate and more humble and changed mm. the way I saw like what I was doing creatively. Yeah. You know, and you know, I got soft. in some ways you know but it's part of growth I mean well I'm not going to discredit any like experience that I have but I'm just saying like musically I feel like I was like really holding back a lot and stunted in a way and like wish that that time period had more fruit I only had two records out of like six years of like hammering it out like that and it was like that's frustrating to me. Yeah. Because that was like, you know, when I was like at my prime in some ways, you know, like. So. Yeah. 
And what what happened in the end? It just was like too much. Uh, that and, 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 and I mean, everything always ends in such a crazy way. Mm. Um, you know, bands are kind of like marriages. Yeah, they're very much a relationship. And when you start to play music with someone, it is a courtship in a way, and that relationship has kind of a parallel in a way. And um, so there's drama. <laughs> yeah, know? totally. And the drama for Love Life um, was, uh, you know, Anthony had moved up to New York and was, like, trying to, like, have, like, this double life, like, come home and play with us and then live in New York. And But at the same time, like, we weren't really making enough happen that I could be, like... Uh, satisfied with that so like you know sean and i started developing this other musical idea that yeah. would you know let all these kind of things that i didn't get a chance to say or do happen for me and mm. then him too you know so um yeah and it ended on like a New Year's Eve party in New York City during a snowstorm at 3 a.m. Anthony was so drunk on stage, he, like, fell down in the mm. middle of the show and was, like, playing everything on the wrong string. And I had just had surgery. Like, this is, like, s so crazy. I just had surgery, like, six weeks before I had had, like, a tumor removed. Oh, and so, like, I still had stitches in me. And, like, I just remember, like, taking, like, carrying the bass amp out of the show, like, you know, in the snowstorm, like thinking yeah. to myself, that motherfucker, you know, so like the next yeah. day we were supposed to play Baltimore and he called me the next morning. He was like, hey, is someone you picking me up? And I was like, not. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck this shit. Yeah, uh -uh. yeah. But I mean, it was just like, you know, that was just the symptom of a bigger disease. And like it was time for him to move on and time for us to move yeah. on, you know, and it everything makes sense. And we're friends now. And yeah. You know, but it's the drama of relationships ending, you know. But creating with people, it's not always going to work out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like totally. I put a lot of energy into this idea instead of letting it go right away. I should have just been like, oh, it's not working. Boom. But I mm. really wanted it to work because I respected him as a musician. Oh, yeah. And I loved his, you know, his work and his playing. And yeah. like, you know, we had like a similar idea of what we wanted to create you know yeah so then i guess is is birdland the next step yeah cool, cool. so um this idea that sean and i were developing alongside the end of love life um was a drum machine uh and sean playing organ instead of good guitar again which was the instrument he played in yeah. love life um, so it was like organ and then bass pedals for the bass. And we were like, you know what? Fuck it. We don't need anybody. We can do this ourselves. Yeah. You know what? Because we really felt like we were waiting so long to make something happen. And it took us four years to make Love Life. And then Love Life was like five years of, like like I said, dragging feet, you know, on making something happen. So when we realized that, when we finally felt like we had the freedom, I mean, we came from a different era where, like, drum machines, I mean, I loved Big Black. They had a drum machine. Drum yeah. machines were not that cool. Right. right. I'm, I'm from a rock, you know, punk yeah. rock background. You want a drummer. So it was, like, a big deal to, like, cross that bridge for us yeah. in a way. But when we did, we were like, 
fuck it, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. And it was the most liberating thing. And that, how long did did it go as Birdland? I mean, Birdland is technically celebration. Yeah, yeah. We had to change our name for legal reasons. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't there like a? There like was another band called Birdland. Band? Like a yeah. '70s band. Or something? Uh, it was a mid '80s English band that was oh, like okay. uh, really corny. Like mm. they all had like like a fake kind of flock of seagulls look. Oh and wow. Well, we were we were talking, you know, we were in negotiation with 4AD, which is a British label, and they were like, yeah. you know, you should really change your name because this band is their name is synonymous with like cheesy, <laughs> right, right. And we're like, oh, because I really liked that name, yeah. But yeah, and like, well, how did that happen? How did you get, get in touch in with 4AD? Uh, I mean, at that point, I mean, it was flat out just basically uh, Dave Siddick. I mean, this is. Our, you know, biggest cheerleader at the time, our producer, he's, at that time, uh, had just started TV on the radio. They had just signed to, yeah. to 4AD. And uh, he he championed us for mm. them, you know, and and uh, they were like, okay, cool, <laughs> and put out two records. Like, where did he come from? Did, what, did he play in bands in Baltimore and stuff? Or? Yeah, he was in a band, well, yeah, he was in a band, he was from Columbia. Okay. And he was in this band called Akamili. And then he did a lot of like other kind of little one off projects and weird like home studio stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and TV on the radio is his. Yeah. How that's he a, gets into like 4AD. Yeah. That's his, yeah. that was his baby. I mean, well, yeah. they, they had already put out an EP with Touch and Go. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. I mean, to make a long story short, like he w- started producing before he did TV on the radio. Yeah. He produced uh, both Love Life records here when we were in Baltimore and then moved to New York. And we were really good friends with the Yeah Yeahs. And this was before they were big. And he, they were like, we want the guy that did your record to do ours. Yeah. And so he became friends with those guys. And then those guys blew up, you know, touch and go. And so, I mean, at that time in Brooklyn, it was, you know, um, uh, you know, a small community before all those bands were big. Right, right, right. And uh, so, yeah. Love Life had played with Nick Zinner's uh, band before. Yeah, yeah, yes. And so that's how it really all happened. So what was it like putting out this first record with them? Uh, I mean, when we first uh, signed to those guys, uh, it was like a dream come true because, again, this was another uh, moment in time where you know, like a teenage dream of mine had yeah. kind of come true because uh, they had put out so many records that I love that had really, that music that had gotten me through some hard times and, yeah. and made me who I was. And so it was like really cool to be a part of that lineage. But at the time, 4AD was a little different than it is now and they hadn't really reinvented themselves. And so we hit a lot of uh, walls with them, like, creatively. Um, mm. For instance, like, they really wanted us to use their artist, Vaughn Oliver, the guy who had done all of the 40 oh, yeah. record covers. All of them. And uh, I was open to it, and he submitted three pieces of artwork that I did not like. And I'm an artist myself, so yeah. um, we just had to fight them tooth and nail, and in the end, he did the layout of my art 
and it wasn't exactly how I wanted it, but, you know, it was kind of like a peace, you know, peacemaking thing. Um, and they were, you know, now he doesn't really do all of the, he, I don't even really think he works with them anymore. Oh, yeah. So that was weird, right? You right, know, because right. I was totally punk rock and I was like, what? I can't draw and you put this, like, this is, yeah. I'm an artist. And they were like, no, this is 4AD. I was like, yeah. I, you know, I didn't really think about it like that. Yeah. And it was a different thing. I mean, these guys had been around for a really long time. They were, uh, you know, um, re- really well-established label with a lot of money, and, and um, they kind of threw it around in a way that was not very efficient but mm. exciting at the time. Like, we got flown all over Europe just to do interviews, not even play oh, shows. yeah, yeah. Like, weird shit like that. You know, and I was like, you know, like, for instance, one time, this last year when we were in Hamburg, I was like, this is our first show in Hamburg, but we've been here before. <laughs> right, this is right. sad, you know? Yeah. But it was kind of like that. And we got, you know, like, then they wanted to charge us for those flights all over. It, you know, just weird shit like that. They were not really set up to work with a band that was unknown. And, and, and we, you know, just needed different things. And, yeah. Mm. It just... By the second record, by the end of the second record, we had felt like under pressure in different ways with them and they were spending money and saying they were not, you know, oh, here's tour support. And then like in the middle of the tour, have, oh, sign this paper. That's not tour support. It's coming out of everything. Mm. Like that kind of shit, you know, lawyers and paperwork. And And we're like, I'm just like, this is just rock and roll, you know, it's like. I'm still, like, eating ramen. Why am I, like, you know, it, it was just weird. Yeah. Did you feel like, because I, I love that second record. Like, you felt like you could, musically you could still do what you wanted to do. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Definitely. I mean, looking back on things, you obviously see where your handicaps are. I mean, at least I'm always, like, growth, growth, growth. But, um at the time, I really felt like we were given all the tools to make what we wanted to do yeah. at that time. And, I mean, but when that... So they had so much hope in that record, and there was so much money put into that record, and we spent, like, six weeks in a really fancy studio, like, having a blast. Yeah. You know, uh, making this record. When it, You know, people don't spend that kind of money on records anymore. Mm. Or that kind of time on records, at least on the indie level like this. Um, right. I mean, we're talking like, you know, $60,000 recording. Right, right, right. You know, when it's all said and done. Yeah. Producer, mastering. Yeah. All that shit. I guess you're saying there's some expectation of like, this is going to be like a big yep. record or something. And it didn't, it didn't do well at all. Really? It, um, it just, it was like, Picked up on the radar a little bit, but then it was just, like, over. And Mm. didn't sell that many. That tour that we went on to support it, like, afterwards we went on this, like, huge tour. And we had been touring, like, crazy up until that point, always opening for bigger bands, and this was, like, our own tour. Yeah. We just had, like, a string of really unfortunate coincidences that led up to us not doing well. Like, for instance, um, our booking agent at the time... Um, we weren't getting along with him and we were um, 
shopping for another booking agent while our current booking agent was booking our tour. Well, he found out about it, basically booked us in the biggest places with the highest guarantees that we would never be able to fill. And we got paid really fancy money, play these big places, but our our fans aren't going to pay $18 to come see us, especially at that time. Yeah. And it was just like, it was a flop. And he did it to, like, fuck you guys up? Well, he also did it to get as much money as he could yeah. at the end. He was like, yeah, fuck these guys. I mean, he was working for billions, so he could get yeah. us in anywhere. He had the leverage to do that. And so, the end, we're playing in these towns where we had fans, but they're not going to pay that money to... They're not going to pay $18 to see us in yeah. this, like, place that's really corny and shitty. Totally. So... That's, it yeah. was really poor timing. Everything. There was a lot of things like that. So it was like we were kind of like taken, like I guess, I mean, I really felt like things were going so well. We were taken on this like kind of whirlwind, like we the the day before we left on that big tour, we were playing CMJ in Brooklyn, and this was like right as Brooklyn was really blowing up before yeah. it became impossible to live there. Yeah. And Kurt Loder from MTV was there interviewing me. And like, he was like the queen of indie rock, you know, (laughs) Katrina Ford, blah, blah. And I was just like, whoa, Kurt Kurt Loder, right? The next day, it was like being dropped on the ground. And it was like that for the rest of that tour. And it was Mm. like a six week tour of just playing to hardly anybody and having. The record not really, I mean, it got okay reviews, but it didn't really sell. We, we weren't selling them because we weren't playing to anybody. Yeah. Jesus. You know? Yeah. And that, you know, that and we also had like a lot of really in, intense personal issues going on with everybody in the band. So it was just like everything kind of came up to this like huge head right after that record came mm. out. And we just like stopped. For like six months and didn't mm. do anything yeah and you know getting back on the horse to do it again was like more of like for the love of the expression of it you know and it really wasn't like about like how we're gonna get this record out we weren't even thinking about that anymore and it was just playing in the basement again yeah it was a kind of like in the six months like did you have to kind of like Except, like, well, this might not well, we, go like I thought or something. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, immediately I thought that. But yeah. it was like, it was like from one day to the next. And it, right. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. You know, as far as the reality was setting in mm. of how it was going. And, you know, and then I had all these family issues going on, too, mm. at the same time. So it was just like... A really fucking crazy time. This was like eight years ago now. Yeah, yeah. So it was a while. Well, our label dropped us, too. Okay. This all happened. Actually, our label, it wasn't a technically a drop. It was like we had this option to sign for another record at an ungodly amount of money that was built into our last contract. Okay. And they yeah. came to us and they were like, we're not giving you this. We'll do another record record with you, but we'll negotiate for less money. And after the experience that we had and we felt like we weren't really like 
home uh-huh. with them. Yeah. And with all of that, and we didn't really like the whole business aspect of it. Yeah. We were just like, we're fine. We're not going to renegotiate. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's that. We had all these expectations that we were going to have a support. Yeah. And we didn't have it. And yeah. all I really wanted was to be able to continue doing what I was doing and feel like I was on the right path. Right. Right. And I really started to question that. Mm. But you know what I mean? I felt like the universe was saying, uh-uh, no, not you. You shouldn't be doing, putting your energy into this thing. It's not doing anything but wasting a lot of time and energy and money. Right. You know, nobody cares. <laughs> right, right. Um, but then I had to say to myself, who cares if nobody cares? This is like what I care about and I want to make this thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to make it and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. You know. Is that, like, the thinking behind, like, the different way for doing, like, the third album? Yeah, for doing things yeah. with Friends Records, yeah. yeah. And when we first started putting this stuff online for free, we were just like, you know what? Let's just share it, and, you know, if it's worth a damn, then, like, people will hear about it. And people didn't hear about it, and I still was like, well, maybe it's not worth a damn, but <laughs> I still am, like, ill with it. In the sense that, like, it's like a it's like a sickness when you feel like you have to be like, or that you are this. You're creative. You have to be creative to live. Right. And it's like, it's almost a struggle to continue. To feel like you have to share it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's different. Like, if you're just creating, like, whatever. But when you feel like you have to share it, then you want like people to say something or oh, you yeah. want to make have effect or something. Yeah. And so once it gets out of that space, then if you, you know, weigh your self-worth or your merit on the response from that, it's devastating sometimes because um, you know, like for instance, you know. You could either think, oh, it's just circumstance or maybe just people haven't heard it. Well, maybe it's just so fucking weird and or or off the cuff that you're only going to get some people to like it, you know. Right. And maybe those people aren't buying records. Right, right. <laughs> you know? It's Yeah, it's like the loneliest feeling in the world. So you don't really have any <laughs> yeah. way to measure yourself. Uh, you know, not that you yeah. have to measure yourself, but you have to say to, my, have to, say to myself, Am I going to put the show on the road and make it all happen and, you know, put myself out on the chopping block? Is it going to, why Why am I doing that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why am I doing that? I, but I, I love performing and I love, like, the expression of being in a space with people um, having something happen together. What's music? Because oh, music yeah. is, like, medicine. And, like, that's really, like what I'm living for those kind of nuggets of moments, but I can't orchestrate them. I can't predict them. And right. there's enough of a crumb trail of those moments that have kept me going. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Despite whatever didn't work out with like the third album, I feel like it's a artistic accomplishment. Like, did you feel yeah good about making it? Yeah. Yeah. So. 
at the time I felt like it um um I still feel I feel proud of it. I stand behind it yeah. completely. I feel like we had been through so much as human beings, first of all, and then as artists together on this journey that it had to um something had to be born out of that and I don't know if it was like a a depth. I really don't think your guys' fans would would ever think that like Oh, like they're falling off, or they're not having things happen right, or so. Well, that's good, because you know I mean, it really has nothing to do with the music. That's like right. our like, you know, professional financial issue. You know, what I mean, right, like, right. You know, because our lives have changed, and we have, you know, we have mortgages, and some of us have kids, and like, yeah. there's different kind of expectations that need to be met you yeah. know and it so it changes yeah. things you know totally and uh so it's not really a matter of like making it i don't even know what that is but i would right. love to just sustain it i know i know do you know what i mean just that yeah and in my i live uh you know i upcycle everything and i don't like to contribute to you know more shit to the landfill so i you know what i mean like yeah. i'm not a la- you know, living a lavish lifestyle or expect that. I feel like my value system, um, you know, doesn't need much. But it's very expensive to tour and to record and to put out records and do this on your right. own. It's it's pretty fucking impossible, actually. Yeah. 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 And so you do need help. How did this Mount Royal project come together? So um, I've been playing... With those guys, I think it's been like six years. Yeah. So, like, when Celebration stopped touring and our drummer David had a child and we had all of these, like, you know, uh, rearranging of our ideas of what business and music and putting out, yeah. all that stuff, there was, like, a lot of space and time at home. And, uh, you know, um, making... Music and making art and being creative is, like, kind of one thing that, you know, I was saying, music is medicine. It, like, keeps me sane. It keeps, like, yeah, you know, whatever, the demons away. Yeah. And so, like, and I also think that any opportunity that you're inspired, that you have um, an opportunity to express yourself with other people, you should. And, yeah. and I've learned so much with, you know, working with other people over the years and, like, um. Uh, before Mount Royal, you know, I used to tour with TV on the radio, and I sang on all their records, and have been working with other people, like singing back up on other people's records for years, oh, like wow. the Foles and uh, uh, Uncle. I sing a song yeah, with them. Yeah. So I mean, I I do, you know, I try to get as much of that experience as possible. Yeah. So when these guys came to me, it wasn't like join our band they were like uh we have the song we want you yeah. to do vocals on and i was like cool and we've been friends with those dudes for years so yeah. it was like yeah of course and so i sang uh you know created vocals for this song and we were like oh that was fun and they were like what about this one and i was like okay and then they were like this one and then it was like you know we were playing a few shows and I was like, I'm not comfortable with it being Lake Trout plus 
Katrina Ford, I was like, that's just kind of weird. Right, right, You know, right. I don't want to, you know, it to be my name. And we should at least just have this this project have its own kind of thing because it is really different than Lake Trout. And, um, and so that's kind of how it happened. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a new record with those guys and Celebration's working on a new record. Yeah. So I got two records in the studio right now I'm super psyched about. Whatever you feel comfortable revealing. Yeah. Say, what's up with this new album? So, um, the anthem that I sang in there to you is one of the songs. Oh, and nice. uh But it's called Freedom Ring. Um, there's, like, it's pretty diverse. I feel like this last record of ours, uh, Album In, was also didn't sell well either and didn't get a lot of exposure. But uh, the one thing that people always, like, said for for good or ill was that it was mm, schizophrenic and and I don't know like sound or uh, people didn't understand it and I feel like mm. this is probably similar in the sense that it's like pulling from a lot of different places and we're just really excited to play and express ourselves and we're having fun doing it we're not really thinking about like does this sound like a celebration song? Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. It's kind of like, you know, oh, this part is kind of doo i I'm going to go with it, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's fun. So that's kind of like, you know, it's all over the place right now. You know, I've been a fan for a long time, so not to gush, <laughs> Thank gush you. but like. Oh, thanks. No, I feel like the same things that might make you feel bad kind of, make me feel like you guys are like heroes to me uh, you know yeah like like in the sense a lot of people when they get to like our general ages are yeah. like when you get older yeah when they're doing mu- still doing music it's often in a really like lame way you know <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean it's just like yeah gets to this point where it's like, well, this is what people expect our act to do. And this, right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's awesome that you're still like. Bucking the system. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're still doing our own thing. Yeah. yeah. We're not, we don't have like a pocket that we're trying to fit into. We're just expressing ourselves. I mean, I don't really know any other way of being. Yeah. So, and I want like genuinely for who we are, be accepted and liked you know totally not something we're not yeah but we get enough love to continue oh yeah like and making music it was like the best thing ever like writing is my favorite thing ever i just love it Ooh, i guess that would be a cool point to end off on okay awesome all right thanks again trina for doing this we'll see you next week